Welcome to Between the Stitches, a baseball show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. Let's go! What is going on, everybody? Tuning into this episode, episode 37 of Between the Stitches, a baseball-only show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. My name is Ryan. We have a great episode for you guys today. As I mentioned, the 37th episode. The 37th episode. The fifth episode this season since baseball has started in 2023. We did some... World Baseball Classic episodes, we did some preseason predictions, and on the topic of those preseason predictions, we go over the standings, we go over a lot of, we we cover a lot of stuff in every episode, we try to go over all the teams, the major storylines, things of that nature, and the preseason predictions that we made, clearly, and apparently, are... I don't want to say all of them. I want to say a handful. But there's a handful where I personally think they're going to be, like, so, so, so dead wrong. There's nothing anybody can do about it. We talk about a team like the St. Louis Cardinals. Who are... Last in the entire league. 11 and 24 for the Cardinals. Before we even get into that, you know what? Let's do what we do on every episode. Go over the standings, American League, East to West, and break down who's leading, where the standings sit. And then we'll go over the main topic that I feel like we should cover. We talked about it on our last episode about how the streaks that are going for individual players as well as teams as a whole, these streaks are lasting way longer than I think they normally would. Situationally speaking, a guy like Nolan Arenado, a guy like Juan Soto, a guy like Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, these are guys that are talented enough to work their way out of a slump with the best of anybody in the league. And you've seen some brief stints from all those guys I just listed throughout their career where, you know, it's a bad, the bad six games. It's a bad week for these guys. Next thing you know, with the new speed and the pace of the game, these guys are, it's not just a bad week. It's like a bad three weeks. And it's like, even when you do have signs of improvement or optimism, these guys almost seem to just slide right back into the lull that they have. And we'll get into that as we talk more in this episode. But I I mentioned the standings and I want to get into the standings because 
ultimately, you know, not a ton has changed since our last episode last week. But we want to go over and want to continue, and then we want to talk about what I think the telling, the most telling, you know, statistical standouts for me are. At this point, by the way, over most of these teams at this point have played 34 or 35 games. Okay. Um, if you take 162, which is the total number of regular season games, and you multiply that times 0.2 or one fifth of the season, right? 20%, you get 32 games. So these teams have eclipsed a fifth of their season as far as games played. And I think at this point, it's a pretty fair indication to be able to sit back and make some serious judgments about who these teams really are at their core, who they could potentially be knowing who they have on their roster and who they're not going to be. Who get, Some teams are probably overachieving ever so slightly. So, as we've said, American League East to West with the standings. In the American League East, Tampa Bay Rays are 28-7, and seven, best record in baseball, 800 winning percentage. They have won 80% of the games they have played this year. They have a plus 115 run differential, which would be, for a World Series caliber team, that type of run differential would be impressive halfway through the season. And like I said, these teams are about 21% through the season. So, incredible from Tampa Bay. The Baltimore Orioles are in second place in the American League East at 22-12. and 12. By the way, today is May 7th, right? So when you're listening to this, maybe at a later date, just understand today is May, the evening of May 7th. All games have been completed as of today, Sunday. So these standings are live and active. And, and you know, again, by the time we, ne- we record between now and then, it's like the Rays had an 800 winning percentage, and then they lose seven straight. And that's like all of a sudden they have a 570. You, you, you get my point, right? So... Baltimore's in second place in the American League East, 22 and 12. They're five and a half games back. They have plus 29 run differential. They're 22 and 12. And as we go through these standings, what I'm going to do is list off what these teams uh, expected win loss record would be based on the runs they've scored and the runs uh, they've given up and the trends and the directions that these teams are going. Right? So, I mentioned Baltimore. 22 and 12 is their regular season record. Their expected win loss is 20 and 14. Two games under what their current record is, which to me just indicates a little bit of luck, right? A little bit of situational hitting. Things like, I don't know, things that are hard to necessarily probably quantify to some degree. Same story with Toronto, who is right underneath Baltimore in the American League East. The Blue Jays are 21 and 14 with a plus 20 run differential. So a 21 and 14 record expected win loss of actually 19 and 16. So again, two games better for their actual record than their expected win loss. That being said, Toronto's coming off of, uh, is coming into this week with a three game win streak. So we'll see if they can continue to play well. The Boston Red Sox. Twenty-one and fifteen for the Boston Red Sox. Again, at this point in the season, I'm not sure a lot of people expected them to be this good. 
20 and 16 is their expected win loss, you know, plus 25 run differential. That they're they're right around the normal. And then at the bottom of the American League East is the Yankees at 18 and 17. Now they're a game over 500. And you know, 18 and 17 in you know, the National League puts you in the playoffs. And we'll get into that later on with a couple of these other teams. But they're in fifth place in the American League East. That's by far the best division in baseball so far this season, based on every metric you're going to find. Yankees have a plus three run differential. Plus three. They are four and six in their last ten. They struggle. Uh, they struggle on the road at seven and nine. They're just not playing good baseball right now. Luckily for the Yankees, they're going back home and opening up a series tomorrow with the Oakland A's. So if anything's going to get these guys on track, it's gonna, I mean, it's come on now. It's got to be that. Moving out of the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins are 19 and 16, and they're the only legitimate contender in this entire division. I'm sorry. No offense to Cleveland Guardians fans or Detroit Tigers fans or anybody else in that division. But let's go ahead and be real. I, I think the only other team potentially that could make a splash in some capacity is the Cleveland Guardians because of their pitching staff being at a, a high caliber starting rotation, good bullpen, and scrappy type of uh, offense that doesn't strike out a lot. That always, that recipe right there always plays come October. That being said, guys are 16 so minnesota's 19 and 16 in first place and cleveland's in second place at 16 and 18 you know not on pace for a very good season detroit tigers are a half game underneath the cleveland guardians at 15 and 18 the white Sox are 12 and 23 the kansas city royals are 9 and 26 in the american league west the rangers are 20 and 13 the angels are 19 and 16 the astros and the mariners are both 500 each and the Oakland A's are 8-27. So Oakland's done. The rest of that division is at or above 500. Pretty impressive out of the American League West. The National League East, the Atlanta Braves lead that division with a comfortable seven-game lead. How's that possible, you say? Well, they come in at 24-11, and 11, so that doesn't hurt. 7-3 in their last 10, plus 56 run differential. They're playing really good baseball. They are 5th. 15 and 3 on the road this year. 15 and 3 on the road this year. That is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The Mets and the Marlins are tied for second place in that division, and they're both 17 and 18. The Phillies are in fourth place in that division at 16 and 19. The Nationals are in last place at 14 and 20. Get into those teams in a second, the Mets and the Phillies. National League Central, the Pittsburgh Pirates holding on to, clinging to a half-game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers at 20 and 15 with a good record. But as it turns out, the Pirates may may be coming back down to earth. They are 3 and 7 in their last 10, and that doesn't mean anything because they're actually on a 7 game losing streak. 
Woof. What happened, Pittsburgh? What happened? I think to make fair assessments, you know, about, okay, like this team is outplaying their expectations. This team is, you know, putting up crazy numbers when they when they weren't expected to. Um, all these different things and sort of metrics, if you will. Um, and I think ultimately it, it boils down to letting the entire season play out. The Pittsburgh Pirates, we've talked about before. As we do the standing updates, they sit there and they're 20 and 15. And, you know, earlier they were like 19 and, and whatever, seven, whatever. They lost, they lost seven in a row. So you subtract, they were 20 and eight. I mean, there you go. They were 20 and eight. And it's like, oh man, like, are these guys legit? We don't know. Can we do it? And it's like, mm, just hold on, right? The Brewers are in second place in that division at 19 and 15. Uh, their pitching staff looks very good. They have a really testy series this weekend. Or I'm I'm sorry, this week, Monday, starting on May 8th against the Dodgers at home. Should be an interesting series for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think it'll be a good test, good indicator. You know, series between two legitimate playoff contending caliber teams. If the Dodgers come in there and, and take two out of three or sweep, especially if the Brewers end up rolling out some of their star arms. May be interesting to see where the Brewers go after this series, regardless how the outcome is. Cubs are in third at 517 and 17. Cincinnati is 14 and 20. And the St. Louis Cardinals are 11 24. They are nine games back of the Pirates. They are two and eight in their last 10. And they have a negative 19 run differential. They're expected win loss. However, if there's any sort of silver lining to it, is 16 and 19. So they are playing five games worse. Five games worse than their expected win loss. What does that mean? Bad luck. Uh one run losses. Uh untimely hitting to some capacity. Just an unfortunate series of events for the Cardinals. And uh again, we'll get into that here later on. Lastly, in the National League West, the Dodgers come into San Diego. They take two out of three. They improve to 21 and 14. They are eight and two in their last 10. They've won two in a row, plus 43 run differential. They're playing good baseball. They're, the Dodgers are who we thought they were. Very good. Seven games over 500, playing good ball. The D backs are 19 and 15. They are a game and a half behind the Dodgers. The Padres are 18 and 17, three games back of the Dodgers. The Giants are 15 and 18, and the Rockies are 14 and 21, having taken two out of three against the New York Mets. So here's what we do. Here's what we say. Here's what we talk about. Here's what we uh here's how we break things down from a from a fundamental statistical standpoint. As we go through some of these top teams, and we look at, oh, yeah, those guys are playing really well. Or, oh, those guys are underperforming. A lot of times, the statistics that you have to look up, the, uh, 
advanced analytics. Because you can look up batting average, you can look up home runs, look up a lot of different things. And ultimately, what a lot of people have determined and what a lot of people have have been able to discover is that a lot of those stats can be misleading. A lot of those stats aren't can't can't won't shouldn't be an accurate depiction of a team or a player's value. Talk about oh that guy hit fifty home runs. Oh well, and then they put these advanced analytic stats on there, and he had fifty home runs, but his uh, weighted runs created plus was one hundred and two, which is only two percent better than league average. How could that happen? Well, he struck out a bunch, and he only hit his home runs at home, and he played at Coors Field. You know, so there's a lot of different things that go into factoring into these more advanced analytical statistics that actually provide legitimate value uh, about who a team and who a player truly, truly is and are. In 2023, every team so far has played at least, this is, I'll put it this way. So far this season, 2023, as of, as of today. We'll look at the calendar and actually determine how many weeks it is. I think that's that's potentially a more accurate. One, two, three, four, five. The top four teams. Actually, we also need to add these up. Sixty-nine wins, and seventy-one losses. Interesting. Going into twenty twenty-three, the top four teams in Major League Baseball, based on payroll rankings: number one, the Mets; number two, the Yankees; number three, the Padres; and number four, the Philadelphia Phillies. After over five weeks, over five weeks into the season, over twenty percent of the season gone. The Mets are 17 and 18. The Yankees are 18 and 17. The Padres are 18 and 17. And the Phillies are 16 and 19. So those top four teams in payroll are through their first 35 games. The top four teams in payroll combined hold a record of 69 and 71. The Mets before the season were projected for 86 wins. They're on pace for 77. The Yankees, before the season, were projected for 86 wins. They're on pace for 83. The Padres, before the season, were projected for 89 wins. They're on pace for 83. And the Phillies, preseason, at the number four payroll spot, were projected for 20. Uh, they were projected for 83 wins. And they're on pace for 74. So I'll go over that again if that was too much information for you. Uh. I'll just say projected wins in this case. 2023 so far, the Mets projected wins was 86. They're on pace for 77. The Yankees projected wins was 86. They're on pace for 83. The Padres projected wins was 89. They're on pace for 83. 
and the Phillies' projected wins was 83. They're on pace for 74. All of the top four teams in payroll are at on pace for at least six games worse than their projected win total, except for the Yankees, who are projected for 83 wins, or uh, they're on pace for 83 wins, despite being projected preseason for 86 wins. Preseason payroll totals and rankings had the Pittsburgh Pirates ranked 27th in payroll, the Tampa Bay Rays ranked 28th in payroll, and the Baltimore Orioles ranked 29th in payroll. The Pirates' current record is 20 and 15. The Rays are 28 and 7. The Orioles are 22 and 19. The Pirates' preseason projected wins was 78. They're on pace for 92. The Rays' preseason projected win total was 97. They're on pace for 129 wins. The Baltimore Orioles' preseason projected wins was 82. They're on pace for 104. The top four teams in payroll combined have a record under 500, and the 27th, 28th, and 29th ranked teams in payroll have a combined record of a winning percentage over 650. Why is that happening? How is that happening? What's the explanation for it? I think I'll say it this way. It's apparent to me, based on every game that I've watched so far this season. And I've seen tons of games from those top four teams. Mets, Yankees, Padres, Phillies. The top players on those high payroll teams, the players that are expected and projected to be the most productive players on the roster, in a lot of cases, the guys aren't not only aren't playing at their highest possibility, right? In a lot of cases, the best players on those top four payroll teams, they're not only not playing to their own expectations or their own projections or even a little bit under that or even at league average. Some of their best players are playing at a alarmingly bad level alarmingly bad a like dangerously scary bad watching guys take at bats on those teams and just look completely different than they've looked in the previous parts of their career when they were all star caliber players Kyle Schwarber having an 0 for 30 streak Juan Soto Manny Machado Francisco Lindor all of these guys are right now on pace for career lows in almost every single offensive category. I think a small part of that could potentially be the new speed of the game, the new pace of the game. The guys started the year off a little bit slow, and with how quickly things are moving in the sport, yeah, you know, it might be a little bit harder to bust yourself out of a slump. That could be part of it, and I think it is a small part. I think the other part of it, that a lot of people just simply are not considering. Oh my God, what's wrong with Juan Soto? Oh my God, what's wrong with the Mets? Bottom line is, all these teams look to me like they are playing the best way to put this. 
when I watch those top four teams play on a daily basis, Mets, Yankees, Padres, and Phillies, and I watch them underperform over and over and over again. I watch their best hitters not score, not drive drive runs in. I watch their best, you know, offseason acquisitions not perform. When I watch the Mets, the Phillies, the Padres, and the Yankees specifically, and I see one of their star players come up to the plate, and I'm like, oh, man, this is it. This is the time. And they just put together a horrible at-bat. They look uncomfortable. They miss pitches down the middle. Some of their best star pitchers come up and just lay an egg, put out five earned in less than four. Like, everybody on all of those teams is wildly underperforming. And the fact of the matter is, every time I go out and watch any of those four teams play, there is a noticeable energy about how each team is carrying themselves. And it's the best way I can describe it is it's like every guy on each one of those top four payroll teams who are all underperforming. It's like every guy is out there trying to hold a toothpick with their rear end. They are squeezed so tight. There's no looseness. There is no swag. There's no confidence. Every guy on that team, on all those teams, every guy on the Padres, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Phillies, with the payrolls they have, are playing with the weight of the entire universe on their shoulders. And on the direct opposite end of the spectrum, in the 27th, 28th, and 29th spots, ranked as far as payroll is concerned, between the Pirates, the Rays, and the Orioles. You combine those three teams' record and their winning percentage is almost at 700 through 35 games. And how could that be possible? The talent on the Mets, Yankees, Padres, and Phillies rosters far outweigh the talent on the Pirates, Rays, and Orioles roster. So how could those teams at the bottom end of the pay of the uh, payroll tracker, you know, how could those teams ranked towards the bottom in payroll in Major League Baseball be outperforming those teams at the top? And I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. There's a lot of different ways you can calculate it. Statistically, a lot of these teams in the towards the top of the payroll, Mets, Yankees, Padres, Phillies, offensively, they're not performing. Uh, uncharacteristically, poor decision-making at the plate, bad base-running mistakes, underperforming, longer-than-usual streaks of, of slumps and not consistent production from their core players. And you can look at all these different things, and you can look at oh, Team OPS and Team ERA and Team WRC Plus and Team Weighted on Base and all this different stuff. And I think the fact of the matter is at least 35 games or so into this season, all of those teams have the payroll and the expectations to win a World Series and nothing else matters. Mets, Yankees, Padres, and Phillies. For each one of those fan bases, if any one of those four teams comes out of this year, which it's obviously going to happen, only one of those four teams could potentially win the World Series. So the other three, or in the case of what's also very likely, none of those four teams win the World Series. All four of their fan bases will have looked at this year as a complete and utter failure.
and there's no other way for any of those fan bases or teams to take this season any other way. There's no other way. And on the flip side, you have the Pirates, Rays, and Orioles just bawling out. Just bawling. Just bawling. If you go to New York at the end of October or San Diego or Philadelphia and you go to the fan bases of those teams, the Mets, Yankees, Padres, and Phillies, and you go, hey, I know you guys didn't win the World Series, but how would you categorize this season? Every one of them would look you straight in the face and say, this season was a complete and utter failure. It was World Series or bust, and because we didn't win the World Series, this entire season is a complete loss. And then on the bottom end of the payroll tracker, the Pirates, if the Pirates even maintain anywhere near the winning total they have right now, and they get to like 80, over 80 wins, period. If the Rays win the American League East, or the Orioles get into the postseason in any capacity, all three of those fan bases would look at you at the end of the year after October and say, I am so happy and just pleasantly surprised that our team's played so well. When, as it turns out, analytically speaking, before the season started, based on a lot of season win totals and projections, the Mets were only projected for 86 wins. The Yankees were only projected for 86 wins. The Phillies were only projected for 83 wins. If every one of those teams played exactly to the projections that were put out before the season, none of them get in the playoffs. The Padres are projected for 89. That barely gets you in. And then, yeah, we all know once you get into the tournament, anything can certainly happen. But did a lot of people know the Orioles were projected for 82 wins? And the Phillies were projected for 83? A lot of people know the Tampa Bay Rays were projected for 97 wins to be 11 games better than the Yankees? Anybody know that? Doesn't sound like people do. I certainly had no idea. I knew that maybe the Rays and Yankees were close. I knew that the Orioles' win projected win total wasn't going to be in the 60s like it has been for the last decade. But the bottom line is what's starting to make it a clear appearance and a clear weight here is that you can spend as much money as you want. And at the end of the day, if your guys aren't playing loose, free, without expectations, without the pressure of the entire world on their shoulders every single time they step up to the plate, then they're going to underperform and you're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a roster that will end up not making the playoffs. The Phillies this year are paying $244 million for their entire roster, and they were projected for 83 wins. Hello? But he want to actually realize that, wow, when they sit there at 16 and 19, or they come in to October this year, and they finish at or below 500, everyone's going to go, what? What happened to the Phillies? How did they? What a Phillies. I mean, I won't be shocked at all. They were projected for 83, but they finished 81 and 81. Okay. Yankees spend Yankees spend $280 million on their roster, and they finish year eighty-four and seventy-eight. Or what would that be? 80, yeah, 84 and 84 and no, 80, yeah, 84 and 78. 
They spent $280 million on their roster, and they come in at 84 and 78, and they missed the playoffs. And the Yankees fans burn the stadium, fire everybody. It's like, well, hold on. Did you guys not realize before the season you are projected for 86 wins? Which is like four games over 500? Five games over 500, at least above 81? Ultimately, what we've seen so far this season from all these different teams that are towards the top of total payroll and conversely, the teams that are towards the bottom and how the teams with the lowest payrolls seem to be potentially playing the loosest and most carefree baseball and the teams at the top are playing with the tightest rear ends you could possibly find and they're all underperforming and then every time these games get close or they become a battle or it's a one-run game or they face a good pitcher they just look like completely lost and things just start to snowball and carry and carry and mount on top of each other like well we got to win this game and it's it's close and tight and oh we're playing a rival and good pitcher and we get two hits in nine innings like it's This that sort of mindset and philosophy to me made itself abundantly clear after the San Diego Padres, who's my team, went down to Mexico City, scored a bunch of runs, played pretty good baseball, got two wins, and started to adapt this new postgame celebration where they'd bring out a pinata in the clubhouse and essentially the player of the game, if you will, for the, the game that night that the Padres won, gets an opportunity to go in and swing at the pinata in the and all the boys are jumping around and dancing and stuff. To me, I had never really seen anything like that from a, a team that's projected or at least has World Series ex aspirations. And they started the tradition in Mexico, which is totally understandable and one thing that I can get on board with when you're playing those specialized games. Then they carry it over back to San Diego after the Mexico City Series. And to me, my first thought and the first thing I thought of when I saw that going down was these guys all know that they are wildly underperforming. They are statistically amongst some of the worst as far as offensive production in Major League Baseball. And they all know that they aren't playing up to the expectations that they had this season, at least through the first 35 games. Everybody knows it. Nobody's stupid. Everyone sees what's going on. Everyone on the roster goes, yeah, you know, Juan Soto is hitting 202. And Manny Machado does have a 640 OPS. So when they bring in that outside stuff, that's them trying to forcibly will positive vibes and loose energy and loose attitude into the roster, into the clubhouse. Because besides the pinata celebrations, all I've seen from the Padres, and to be honest, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Phillies, is a bunch of guys and a bunch of players that aren't really playing well. Maybe one or two guys sort of standing out as far as production with guys like Garrett Cole on the Yankees and, you know, Brandon Marsh on the Phillies. But otherwise, the rest of those teams that are all loaded with MVP caliber talent are not getting near the production that they should. The New York Mets are number one in payroll in all of baseball. They are 18th in the league 
in team OPS. The Yankees are number two in payroll. And the Yankees are 24th in team OPS. The Padres are number three in payroll. They're 16th in team OPS. And the Philadelphia Phillies are fourth in payroll, and they're 11th in team OPS. Do these teams have good players and good hitters? Absolutely. Are these players and hitters underperforming? Absolutely. The next question would be, why is that happening? And I think there's a, a multitude of different answers you could look at. But I think ultimately, based on the way I've seen these guys conduct their at-bats, specifically the MVP caliber players, the players that are expected to carry these lineups on a day-in and day-out basis, I watch him take ABs. I watch Kyle Schwarber on the Phillies. I watch Francisco Lindor. I watch Juan Soto and Manny Machado. I watch Anthony Rizzo. I watched Judge when he was playing. None of these guys look like they're operating with any sort of looseness or confidence or the approach or the ability that we were accustomed to previously when these guys have come up to the plate and it's like, oh, shit, Aaron Judge is up? Fuck, how far is he about to hit this thing? Manny Machado's up? Ugh. What is he going to do, backspin another ball into the bleachers? Lindor? Switch hitter? What's this guy going to do? Just drive in a bunch more runs and hit another double? Now, it's like the opposite every time those guys come up. Lindor takes a bunch of stiff swings. Misses balls over the middle of the plate. Manny Machado just lazily throws his bat out to the ball. One-handed swing. Grounds out. On the first pitch of the at-bat, Juan Soto just refuses to swing. 3-2 count is an automatic take for Juan Soto. Three years ago, 3-2 count, Juan Soto was like, how hard and how far am I going to hit this ball last year Aaron Judge at 62 homers he didn't look completely feeble this year but from what I had seen from him so far in the early parts of the year and I know he's hurt but before he went on the IL I was like man this guy just doesn't look the same the good news is for all these different teams and all these different players we know that they're all talented and we also know that there's literally 78 percent of their games still in front of them so there's time for these guys to rectify these problems. I just tend to believe that no matter how hard you try, or in some cases, the harder you try to work your way out of the lack of production, the worse off you're going to be. And ultimately what it's going to take is for these guys to go up there and just go, you know what, man, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of us, says about us, tweets about us, yells at us in the bleachers. Just got to go play ball. Because you know who doesn't have a lot of off-the-field pressure and never has expectations and only draws 4,000 fans to every single home game? The Tampa Bay Rays. You know who's number one in Team OPS? The Tampa Bay Rays. You know who's number one in Team ERA? The Tampa Bay Rays. You know who's number one at playing loose and free and getting production one through nine in the entire order? The Tampa Bay Rays. Why? Because they have no expectations. They have... No one's screaming at him in the bleachers. They don't get booed if these guys go for an 0 for 17 slump or have a five strikeout game. There's no one there at the stadium to boo them to begin with. So these guys have no pressure, nothing on their shoulders, just playing loose, fun, relaxed, free baseball. And next thing you know, right, you look through here, top 10 teams in team OPS this year. Tampa Bay, number one. Atlanta Braves, number two. What do they play with? What do they have? Uh, nothing but 
unfiltered, loose swag approach to the game of baseball, and they go up and absolutely just destroy the baseball. The Texas Rangers, number three. A team, again, that, yeah, had expectations, but nobody expected them to be hitting as well as they have, putting up first in runs per game. The Boston Red Sox, fourth in Team OPS. Is it shocking to some people? Yeah, maybe. Nobody picked them to be anywhere near the top 10 in the Team OPS. And yet, shockingly, a team with limited to no expectations and young talent and guys who don't give a shit about what people are saying about them go out on the field every single day, and they're pumping out the fourth-best OPS in all of baseball. Then the Dodgers are five. The Arizona Diamondbacks are sixth in Team OPS. Chicago Cubs are seventh. Baltimore Orioles are eighth. Of those top eight teams in Team OPS through 35 games, I would say confidently I wouldn't expect at the end of the year or even at this point in the season to have seen the Rangers, the Red Sox, the Rays, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, or the Orioles. All those teams have great players. All those teams have great hitters. But the fact is, of all those teams I just listed, none like none of them came into this year with all or nothing World Series aspirations. Like if they don't win the World Series this year, the entire season is completely wasted. And yet, the teams who did come into the year with that exact mentality and mindset, the New York Mets, 18th in Team OPS. The New York Yankees, 24th Team OPS. San Diego Padres, 16th Team OPS. The fact of the matter is, these guys are playing too tight, too pressed, and they're making and considering and approaching things in a completely uncharacteristic way. And it's snowballing, and it's going, and it's rolling down the hill. And with this new style of play and the speed of the game and the pace of everything that's going on, it's a lot harder to slow down that snowball that's coming at you down the hill, gaining speed, gaining momentum. And it seems like it's almost inevitable that at some point, something drastic has to change. Otherwise, things won't change, and these teams will continue to underperform. Lastly, I want to talk about uh, the St. Louis Cardinals because these guys are dead. I mean, dead in terms of they're not coming back. Uh, as we sit here after the games on May 7th, the St. Louis Cardinals are at 11 and 24 baseball team. They are two and eight in their last 10. The only silver lining would be for that team based on the runs they've scored and the runs they've given up. Their projected win-loss is actually 16-19. and 19. So their actual record is five games worse than what their expected record would be. Nevertheless, these guys are not playing good baseball. They're not playing uh, fundamental baseball. They're not executing at the right times. Uh, and their pitching staff, people are sitting around right now just like just shocked shocked that how could the how could the St. Louis Cardinals be such a bad team uh well I don't know let's see when you look at total uh total stats 
Let me see here. And the Cardinals again, 11 and 24. Okay. So that's 13 games under 500. 13 games under 500. And we've played 35 games. Oh my gosh. How are the Cardinals so bad? What's going on? Oh, let's see. They're 14th in the league in team OPS. And they are 21st in the league in team ERA. But they have good players. They have Paul Goldschmidt. They have Nolan Arenado. Actually, those guys are definitely pretty good. Uh, but if your rotation this year was going to be a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright, a Jack Flaherty who hasn't stayed healthy for the entirety of one season since he's been in the big leagues, a mid-30s Steven Matz, a mid-30s Miles Michaelis, and a Jordan Montgomery who the, who the Yankees wanted to trade so bad they took the underperforming St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Harrison Bader who has now become a star. And to be fair to Jordan Montgomery, he's got a 3.2 ERA this year. I mean, it's not bad. Let's check on their team ERAs as a whole. So, as it stands right now, okay, everybody in the Cardinals rotation has made at least six starts, I want to say. Let me pull up all the information so that I make sure I'm accurate on this. And Wainwright was hurt. Really? Maybe he... doesn't have the innings. It's it to me at least it's funny because yeah, Matt's Michaelis and then they are piecing together the rest of the rotation in some capacity or another. Um yeah, it's it, it's it, my point is I don't think the Cardinals should be or even will be as bad as they are right now, 35 games into the year. But they, of their starting rotation, they're relying on a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright who just made his season debut. They're relying on Jack Flaherty, who's made seven starts and has pumped out a 6.2 ERA. Jordan Montgomery, who, to be fair, has a 3-2 ERA and seven starts. And then Steven Matz and Miles Michaelis, who both have a 5.7 ERA in seven starts through the first 35 games of the year. So, hmm, a team that, let's see, isn't hitting the ball very well besides, besides Nolan Arenado. Uh, I'm sorry, besides Paul Goldschmidt and a basically rookie Nolan Gorman, they don't have a guy with an OPS over 800. They have three starting pitchers with an ERA above 5.7. What's going, like, why are they losing? Because, because they're not pitching. And 
the Cardinals are trying to count on the formula that has worked for them in the past years, which was a handful of savvy veterans, highly productive guys that have a track record, and then just a hodgepodge of rookie second-year guys who at one point or another were a sort of highly ranked prospect. I mean, counting on taking out taking out Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, two of the nine batters that the Cardinals have to roll out on a night-in-and-out basis, you're going to be expecting offense from one or two of the following. Wilson Contreras, who's been a pretty solid offensive catcher. Tommy Edmond. Brendan Donovan. Dylan Carlson. Lars Newtbar. Nolan Gorman, a bunch of guys, 25, 26-year-olds that aren't really proven, that aren't all-star caliber, that aren't going to be able to carry the weight or bring in the production for a team and an offense when a guy like Nolan Arenado has come out and played 34 games with a 608 OPS. All of a sudden, Arenado's not, not hitting well. A couple of their starters aren't throwing the ball well. Next thing you know, they're 13 games under 500. Will the Cardinals get back above 500 at some point this season? My answer, no. I think they end up finishing the year with 74 wins, and then uh, their manager gets fired. That's how I think the rest of the season goes for the Cardinals. I hope it doesn't because I do like some of the guys in the roster, but ultimately until things change or at least have signs of trending in the right direction, it's going to continue to be a tough year in St. Louis. So either way, guys, hopefully you guys this – you guys enjoyed this episode 37 of Between the Stitches, a baseball-only show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. I certainly enjoyed sitting here and just ranting nonstop and talking a bunch of mess for no reason all the time because that's what I love to do. But I think that's going to do it for us. Oops, sorry about that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode 37. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, greatly appreciate it. We put the clips from the podcasts themselves on all of our social media channels. So be sure to go check us out on there. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And otherwise, I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Between the Stitches. Follow Phenomenal Fan Media on social media for more. And subscribe on Patreon for exclusive content.